0: Welcome to another edition of from the preacher's study my name is kevin clark and i along with bob hutter who's the preacher at the oak mountain church of christ i have the joy and the privilege of delivering to you more of god's word uh, we're very thankful for our audience out there both domestic and overseas as we've said before we appreciate everybody who tunes in but we've been uh, very impressed with the, the far reach of the program and which speaks to the technology and uh and speaking of technology we have to say something about our two deacons who uh make this possible for us jason reed and mark townsend very thankful for what they do Uh, we could not do this without their assistance we've been looking at the the holiness of god and that we're pursuing Uh, And we certainly have looked at different aspects of that over the various weeks that the podcast has been running. You may remember maybe a couple podcasts ago, we talked about anger and wrath and the idea that we can be angry and not sin, according to Ephesians 4. And we want to continue on that particular subject and talk about uh, anger and wrath. Uh, Certainly it is possible for us to get upset and angry about things, but do so in a way that we do not violate one of God's commands and thereby sin. But on the other hand, there are a lot of examples of people in the Bible who got angry and upset and either sinned or came very close to crossing the line of sin. And there are things that we can learn from that. I'm always very mindful of passages like Romans 15:4. You know, sometimes, we get into debates about are we under the old testament or the new testament it's very clear that we're under the new testament dispensation we cannot appeal to the new testament as the law that governs us but that doesn't mean that there's no place for the new Te- or the old testament because the new testament itself says there's a place for the old testament for example Romans 15 and verse 4 for whatever things were written before refreshing referring to the old testament were written for our learning that we through the patience and comfort of the scripture might have hope and so this passage, along with 1 Corinthians 10-11, says that the things that are written in the Old Testament, there are still practical uses of those things, even though we're under the New Testament dispensation, we look to Christ, we're not under the old law, we don't have to be circumcised physically in order to be pleasing to God. Gentiles have a place in the kingdom of God, but there's still something to be gained from a study of the Old Testament. Well,
1: also, thought of 1 Corinthians chapter 10
0: mm-hmm.
1: and uh, verse 11, after citing several... Uh, occasions that happen in Israel, several several events in their history. Uh, Paul says, these things happened to them as an example, and they're written for our instruction upon whom the ends of the ages has come. And so drawing from the examples, in this case, uh, from the Old Testament, very powerful, very Mm -hmm. powerful Mm -hmm. examples. Also think about Hebrews chapter 11. Mm -hmm. There are examples of people who have great faith drawn from the Old Testament Mm -hmm. that held up to to, to the first readers and to us, this is the kind of faith that you want to have. This right. is faith to the saving of the soul. So. Uh, an example is can be a very powerful teaching tool, so it's one thing to say, this is what you ought to do,
0: mm-hmm. it's another thing to say, and watch this person do it, and do it as they do. That's right, and as we said before, examples go both ways, there are examples of things that we should do, and there are also examples of things we shouldn't do, and we'll see some of those as we look at the subject of anger in some Old Testament examples. Uh, the first one I want to draw uh, our attention to is in First Samuel uh, chapter 17. and. And the point I want to make, if you remember this, first of all, how many times have you had a situation where somebody does something, and in your mind you're trying to figure out why they would do this, and you kind of fabricate or come up with or concoct this kind of narrative of why they did this. They did this to try to humiliate. They did this to try to embarrass me. They did this to be mean-spirited. And unfortunately, I've done that before. And the remarkable thing, as I look back on how many times I've done that, is how many times... I've been proven wrong, that that I jumped to conclusions about why somebody did something. And of course, we don't, like Jesus, read hearts. We don't read minds. We take cues. We do the best we can. But so many times we attribute false motives. And then when we do, we can get worked up over it and sometimes even angry at a person when what they did is really innocuous. But in our mind, we have this narrative that suggests they did it for some nefarious purpose. So the example I want to look at is Eliab, who was the oldest brother of David. You may remember that uh, David was keeping the sheep and uh, the Israelites were fighting the Philistines. And Jesse, his father, uh, sent David and saying, David, I want you to take some provisions, both to your brothers, some bread, some cheeses to the army, and also want you to talk to your brothers and get news of the battle and, and bring it back. And so that was what he was told to do. And in fact, in verse 20 of 1 Samuel 17, so David rose early in the morning, left the sheep with the keeper and took the things and went as Jesse had commanded him. And so that had been the instruction given to the young man. And he fulfills that, he leaves the supplies, goes and talks to his brothers. And while he does that, he overhears the challenge of Goliath and everybody's kind of talking about that and what would happen to the man that can overcome this, that the king would make that man rich and exempt his house from taxes and give his daughter as as a wife. And so David's asking some questions about that. And then Eliab gets wind of this and gets very upset. Uh, Look at verse 28. Now Eliab, his oldest brother, heard when he, that's a reference to David, spoke to the men. Eliab's anger was aroused against David. and He said, why did you come down here? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? I know your pride and the insolence of your heart, for you've come down to see the battle. Now, David's reaction, verse 29, David said, what have I done now? Is there not a cause? Then he turned from him towards another and said the same thing. And these people answered him as the first ones did, again just inquiring what's going to be done for the man who takes down Goliath the Philistine. But but notice what Eliab does here. He attributes some very ill motives to David. He said, so you're doing this because of your pride. You're doing this because of your insolence. Scripture doesn't say anything about pride or insolence. In fact, we know that Jesse had commanded him to go there and see about the brothers, take the provisions. While he's there, he hears some things. He's naturally curious. He asks some questions. But but there's nothing in the text that suggests that what uh, Eliab attributes to him is true. And so Eliab works out this narrative that David is doing something terrible. He even implies that maybe he hasn't been a responsible shepherd. And yes, we read, earlier, he did leave the sheep with somebody uh, that was going to take care of them. So none of this is correct. And then based on this concoction, this fiction in his mind, Eliab gets all mad and angry at David. And David's like, why? What's the base? What have I done that's wrong? And I, clearly, this is an example, I think, of anger that's misplaced, mistaken motives. And I want us to be careful about that because, again, nothing in the scripture here says that the reason why David asked those questions and was curious was because of his pride and insolence. In fact, we know, even though David wasn't perfect, that he was a man after God's own heart, and and he was simply doing what his father asked him to do. And so I think we need to be careful when we run across people who do things and, and, and we're not sure why they did it and then we jump to the worst conclusion, how about giving people the benefit of the doubt instead of getting all worked up and, and this is why they did this and I know they know this and, and get all mad and all worked up when we don't know. We need to have some humility about the limits of our knowledge and give people the benefit of it, doubt, especially when we're dealing with fellow Christians. But I would suggest it's a good way to live in life. If you go around through life assuming everybody has the worst motives, you're going to be an angry person because you think the whole world is <laughs> aligned against that's you. Right. But that's generally not true. Right.
1: Well, I, I thought about First Corinthians 13 yeah. and the description of love as you were talking there. Right. Love is patient and kind, is not jealous, doesn't brag, is not arrogant, and so forth bears all things believes all things mm-hmm. hopes all things endures all things right. it love believes all things it 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 believes the best of and people right. it, it sort of attributes the best motives to people and so we sometimes have that tendency to uh to be suspicious of mm-hmm. other people's mm-hmm. motives mm-hmm. and attribute to them right I, I know why they're doing right. this <laughs> but if we love if we love people right. well, then we're very careful about that we have we we only draw conclusions based on evidence there you go not on supposition or or anything like that and so we just have to kind of slow down our thinking make right. sure that uh, we're not attributing wrong motives to people which exacerbate our emotions absolutely make them, make them stronger and less uh, in our, under our control.
0: And and as I said, the times that I have caught myself doing it so many times, it turns out I'm so wrong and I'm embarrassed that I even thought that way, right? That's right. That's right. (laughs) So mistaken motives is another opportunity, unfortunately, for the devil to play with our emotions, as you say, and get us worked up and stoke anger. Uh, Another one I would suggest is wounded pride. Uh, Unfortunately, pride is an issue that we all uh, deal with. And when our pride is hurt, we have a tendency to get angry, especially at the object or the one we think that caused that wounded pride. And an example of that certainly would be Saul. Uh, I don't know if you remember that David and Saul had an interesting relationship, uh, more interesting from Saul's perspective than David. David did the right thing by that relationship. And I wanted to point out uh, for the example here of wounded pride and how that leads to anger. First Samuel 18, let's begin verse five. So David went out wherever Saul sent him and behaved wisely. And Saul set him over the men of war and he was accepted in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Now, it happened as they were coming home, when David was returning from the slaughter of the Philistines, that the women had come out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul with tambourines, with joy, and with musical instruments. So the women sang as they danced, and listen to this, and said, Saul has slain his thousands, and David his ten thousands. Then Saul was very angry. And the saying displeased him, and he said, "They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed only thousands. Now, what more can we have? Can he have but the kingdom? So Saul eyed David from that day forward. Here's a great example of wounded pride leading to anger. And so you have when people, when the Philistines, uh, the Israelites attacked the Philistines, they came back from battle, and David was a mighty man of prowess, he was a great warrior. And so they would say, Saul has slain his thousands, well that's great, given Saul his due." but David, his tens of thousands. And so David being a greater warrior in the eyes of many of the women here and the men uh, than Saul. And, and that wasn't a point to get angry about, but he got angry. He got upset, wounded pride. He says, wait a minute, I'm the king. I'm the one that needs to be respected. And this is just David. And, and, it, and then all of a sudden he does a little bit of a Well, what more can he have? He's going to get the kingdom now. David had not professed any desire for the kingdom at that point in time, certainly been anointed, but he he was not trying to move Saul out. In fact, David had nothing to do with this. David was just doing, he served well, behaved wisely, the text says, and just so happened the people noticed, and they said a little bit more positive about David than they did Saul. But you know, as much as we can condemn Saul here, sometimes we're the same way. Sometimes our pride gets wounded and we get angry. Maybe somebody gets some praise, more praise than we do, or somebody's doing something better than us. Someone has better ability. Well, it could be a lot of things that, that we get kind of wounded pride. And then we get angry at the person that we think got better treatment or is getting more praise or is getting more favorable press than we did. Certainly there's some of that between Cain and Abel. Remember Cain was angry at Abel because God respected his sacrifice and not Cain. So we just have to be careful. Pride is always a dangerous thing, but wounded pride can lead us to lash out and be very angry. We need to be careful about that.
1: Well, if Saul were to think about that, maybe he would think, well, you know, you know, gl- glory to God for giving exactly. us the victory. Glory to God's That's people. Right. You know, glory to God's kingdom because he's enabled us to defeat the enemy right. of God's people. And whoever you know, whoever achieves that, or whoever wins the victory, right. they, the who is irrelevant. That's right. It's the victory that's important.
0: Yeah.
1: It's easy to weep with those who weep. Is yeah, yeah. Sometimes it's hard to rejoice, rejoice with, with those, those who rejoice. Who yeah. And so, where jealousy James mm-hmm. tells us where mm-hmm. jealousy is, there's um, uh, there's evil, and you know every evil thing uh, where jealousy and selfish ambition is. Right. And so that's that's Saul. He's he's jealous. David's getting more attention. Right. And so what follows are particularly evil oh, things. Yeah, so they're very Trying bad to kill things. Him and
0: consistently, so yeah.
1: instead of becoming jealous, rejoice that the kingdom of God is going forward or rejoice with those who are enjoying some kind of advantage or blessing in their life.
0: You know, that goes back to one of the class or podcasts we had earlier where we talked about if we're all about God's will and pleasing God. then, as you said, we'll be excited that God's people were vindicated and the name of God was vindicated. And not worry about individual accolades and praise, because ultimately it's all about God and His glorification and His exaltation.
1: Well, Kevin, let me get this quote exactly right. James 3, verse 16, (laughs) where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder in every evil thing. So I I kind of uh, garbled that a little bit, but I, I wanted to get it exactly right. <laughs> well,
0: I, I remember that from the last podcast, First John two fifteen through seventeen. Uh, we're running out of time. One last example, and there's so many. I hate to uh, cut you short, but let's let's look at First Samuel twenty five. It's one of my favorite ones, and again, involving David. There's a lot of that uh, kind of a the central theme here. Uh, you may remember, and we'll just talk about the story very briefly. Uh, David and his four hundred men had been out and about, and um, I'm sorry, about 600 men, 400 men that he had in his war effort. Uh, They had been out and about and they'd been with some shepherds of Nabal and they had provided some protection. They'd done right by them. They had been kind of a wall against any outsiders, any threats to them. And so uh, David hears that Nabal is shearing his sheep and Nabal is a very rich man. He has 3,000 goats and uh, 3,000 sheep, I'm sorry, 1,000 goats. And so he has a very kind of innocuous, reasonable request. Hey, a feast day you're a rich guy these guys are famished can we have some food and so he sends uh kind of an entourage to Nabal to, to make that request and and they remind him that his very people had been with them their shepherds they had protected them they'd done right by them <laughs> and so Nabal instead of you know uh answering him graciously in verse 10 then Nabal answered David's servants and said who is David and who is the son of Jesse There are many servants nowadays who break away each one from his master. Shall I then take my bread, my water, and my meat that I've killed from my shears and give it to men when I do not know where they're from? You're talking about an insult. I mean, this guy couldn't have been even worse. I mean, who who are you? Who's the son of Jesse? He's insulting him, his lineage, and he knows good and well who David is. How could you not know that? We're going to see it later on with Abigail. Um, But instead of returning the kindness that David and his men had extended to Nabal's servants, Instead, what's that old saying, no good deed goes unpunished? He basically turns them on their way and insults them, and of course, when the report comes back to David, David's like, okay, fine, uh, get 400 guys, strap on your sword, we're going to kill every last male that Nabal has, talking about overreaction. Well, what happened there? He got angry, he got upset, he was, he was disrespected, and so he overreacted. Well. So very glad that you had one of those servants who came to Abigail, who is Nabal's wife, and says, hey, look, uh, this guy's a scoundrel. David's men were good to us. They were very good to us. They were a wall to us. They protected us. And, and harm is determined against our master. And you know he won't listen. Is there anything you can do? And so Abigail, who's described as a woman of good understanding and beautiful appearance, she swings into action, gets a great amount of provisions, sends him out to David, intercepts David before he gets to do what he's going to do, and, and, and makes a great appeal and saying, hey, look, uh, the Lord is with you. Uh, I know that Saul is uh, chasing you and trying to kill you. Nothing's gonna come of that because you're bundled up with God. You're gonna be the next king. We believe that, you know that. And boy, wouldn't it be terrible if you were to do this terrible thing and just wipe out all these young men, many of whom are innocent. It was Nabal that did the problem, not the young men. In fact, one of the young men who brought the attention, uh, this matter to the attention Abigail, would have been killed had David done what he wanted to do. And so she repeals to say, look, don't do this. Don't be angry without a cause. Don't commit murder without cause. Uh, Don't take vengeance in your own hands. And David recognizes that and says, you know what? You're right, and I don't need to do this, and I've respected your person. I'm not going to do this. And it's so interesting. It's a great example of letting God take care of things. Uh, At that very night, she comes back. Nabal's drunk, and so she doesn't tell him then, but when he comes in the morning, he's sober. She relays the day's events, the previous day's events, and it says his heart died within him and became like stone. Ten days later, the Lord strikes him and kills him. And so David, recognizing that, says, you know what? That's the way it's supposed to be handled. Here I was, getting all angry, all worked up. I was about to wipe out every single male, and that would have been, he describes it later on, evil. He recognized, had I acted on my instincts, it would have been evil, and he praises Abigail for having the wherewithal to intercede and really take it upon herself, say, hey, my mistake, if I would known about it, I would have taken care of this but don't sully your reputation. You're the Lord's anointed, let God take care of this. What a great example of you know, get, having somebody turn away that anger, a soft word turns away anger. We need to be people, one, that can be appealed to, to have our anger right. dissipated, and also sometimes we need to be the people that turn away, somebody gets really worked up, Try to be that reasonable voice mm-hmm. that kind of turns them back to, hey, think about the consequences of what you're going to do here. Think about if you act on this. That's what Abigail does. she said, look, if you do this, one day you're going to look back on you're going to really regret this. Right.
1: Well, as you said a moment ago, you know, the, the, the two chief characters involved here, Abigail and David, they they both, uh, you know, exhibit wonderful qualities.
0: Right.
1: Just here's David the king. Right. And, but he's not carried away with pride. Mm-hmm. He's willing to listen, he's willing to consider his mm-hmm. his uh, his own behavior and his own thoughts and he's willing to say, you know what you're you're right. I mm-hmm. uh, I've gone too far. Let me let me pull right. back right. And, and handle this in a different way. And you know we talk about Saul's pride getting hurt right. and things like that. Well, David is just the opposite on right. this occasion. Right. He's willing to swallow his pride That's in right. a way and say, you know, you know, you're right. I need to take a different course of action. And we need to develop that humility as well. Yes. Just okay, I've I've overreacted. Right. Let me calm down. Yeah. Let me step back a little bit. Let me think this through before I act hastily and make a serious mistake.
0: You, you know, we have attention. <clears throat> we get angry, especially when it's directed towards somebody, to overreact and. In fact, I, one of the things I like to point out, you know, a lot of people take shots at an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, as if that's a terrible negative thing. Really, what I think that is, Bob, is proportionate justice. Right. It's the idea that we have a tendency, if you take out one by one finger, I'm going to take your two eyes out. You know, right. I'm going to overreact. And so the scriptures are saying, no, 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 an eye for an eye, the restraint, restraint. Because many times we go overboard, and, and God right. needs, and that's one of the wonderful things about letting God take vengeance. So in this situation, God took care of Nabal vengeance is mine saith the lord we need to we can get angry and it would have been all right for david to be angry at the way nabal responded because that was an insult and that was terrible and he didn't uh visit kindness on him as he should have but to go the step further and say i'm going to take things in my own hands i'm going to wipe out all these innocent people because they belong to him who's the source of this uh uh this, this disrespect that was too far and so we need to learn as you say to be measured in our response. Be angry, don't sin. You know, how many times have we got worked up over things and we want to go with shock and awe? Right. Stand down. Right. Stand down. Uh, you mentioned
1: a word that uh, caught my attention. How much wrong, how much evil, how much violence is done because he disrespected me. Oh, absolutely. Oh, he, he disrespected yeah. me. And so now that gives us the justification uh, to as you said, you know, it, it's no more than an eye for an eye, right, no more yeah, than a right, tooth for a right. tooth. Well, we want to take that further. I'm going to take the tooth for a tooth, and I'm going to knock another one out just for good measure to teach you a lesson.
0: <laughs> That's true. And, That's and, true, and yeah. so, a lot yeah. of that
1: is motivated by this perceived disrespect. That's right. And just leads to a lot of a lot of just terrible consequences.
0: You're so. I mean, how many people literally have lost their lives because somebody felt disrespected? Yeah. I mean, it's just the world we live in. We don't have a sanctity of human life. And to, we just get angry and we break out a gun and we kill somebody because they said some cross word or insulted somebody in our family. And we just got to be careful. Control that anger. Let it dissipate. Be angry and do not sin. Why? Because that's not the holiness of God. Uh, you made a point several podcasts ago. We need to be angry at the things that God was angry at. And we have that record here. You want to know what's appropriate about getting angry at? Read this. It'll tell you what God was angry at. Let's be angry at the things God was angry at. Anything else, let's let the Lord handle that. Well, we've run out of time. Uh, We've really enjoyed ourselves. I have. And I want to thank the audience again for tuning in. And uh, we look forward to hopefully another opportunity to be with you. Uh, As we always do, we want to end with a word of prayer. But before we do that, uh, I probably have done a little too much talking in this podcast, so I'll give give my colleague an opportunity to say some Uh, parting words. That's okay. (laughs) Uh, I've
1: enjoyed listening, and I was able to to contribute and make my observations. And so I think it's gone very well.
0: Oh, great. Well, let's uh, be led in a word of prayer, Bob. Okay, sure.
1: Our Father in heaven, we bow before you as uh, people who have been made in your image. We are, we are like you, Father, and uh, as you have emotion, as you have your anger stirred at times, we do as well. Help us, Father, to uh, control that anger, not let it get away from us and and, and uh, compel us or influence us to do things and say things we shouldn't. Help us, Father, to be angry at the right things and in the right measure and display that anger and exhibit that anger in, in the appropriate way. And as you've taught us, to be angry but do not sin, and not to give the devil an opportunity. Help us, Father, to live in the light of your Word. It's an ongoing, lifelong battle for us to control our emotions and control our desires, and bring those things under, under control, under your control. And so help us, Father, as we deal with these things each day. Help us to pursue holiness. Help us to... Uh, look at ourselves and examine ourselves, see the things that shouldn't be in our lives and eliminate those and in their place, develop more and more the qualities that you would have us to develop and possess. Help us to be more like Christ in every way, to walk in his steps and to develop the character that he had and to handle temptation and handle various experiences in our lives the way Christ would. Help us, Father, to always ask the question, What would God have me to do in this situation? And then make an informed decision about that, informed by your word, and then have the strength of character uh, to put that into practice. We're so thankful that you love us, that you care for us, that you're interested in our lives, that you're watching us, that you want us to be people that live the right way and that live in a manner that pleases you. We're thankful for that, Father, and we ask for your help along the way. We're thankful that you've prepared for us a place in eternity, a place in your presence, a place in glory. Help us, Father, to live so that that home might be ours. Through Christ, we pray these things. Amen.
0: Amen.